0: If the political truths stated or approximated by Machiavelli were widely known by men, the success of tyranny and all the other forms of oppressive political rule would have become much less likely.
1: Hello everyone, welcome back to Mind Matters, I'm Harrison Cayley, we've got uh, Elon Martin and Lucien Koch. Today we will be talking about this book. Machiavelli the Prince. So we we mentioned Machiavelli briefly, well maybe not too briefly, at the end of last week's show. And none of us had read Machiavelli before, only excerpts, so we decided to dig in. It's only eighty pages in the in the version I've got, so it's a, a quick read. And I guess to start out with, I want to ask you guys uh, for initial impressions and just what you thought, was it what you expected? Was it everything you hoped it would be?
2: I hope for some more cruelty and cynicism. (laughs) I was some some in there, but, um, you know, the, the picture we uh you you kind of have in in mind when thinking about machiavelli is like this total psycho and it's just way over the top and yeah that, there is some of that in there but i was kind of surprised that um much of it uh, was actually like um pretty pretty normal you know when 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 looking yeah. at the the political uh, going ons you know both today and historically it's like yeah. I mean, that's kind of like the way things are. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: He, he was, uh, utterly rational. Um, I think people confuse the subject matter, uh, with the approach and his approach is to look at everything as it was. Um, and because so much of it is, uh, so speaks to objective truth, um, Applies to what is, uh, in many cases, and you know there there were several times, and in Burnham's book, an analysis of uh, of Machiavelli, uh, just one truth, kind of after the next, after the next, that Machiavelli was able to hone in on, and you know left me wondering, gosh, you know, do, do the Writers and analysts of uh, of of cyclical history did they draw upon Machiavelli's writing, or are these all truths that they came at from their own separate research? Uh, and and so, you know, just just as relevant today, I think, as when he was writing in the fifteen hundreds and early sixteen hundreds.
1: Well, um, I want to point out what you both of you kind of just mentioned about. Machiavelli, he's, he was pretty much an empiricist to a larger degree.
0: Or 14, I'm just correcting myself, 1400s and, and early yeah. 1500s, yeah.
1: So I want to read a bit from the, the introduction, just one paragraph from the introduction to this volume by Anthony Grafton. He wrote, yet from the first, Machiavelli insisted on the, origina- on the originality of his approach to even the most traditional of the questions he addressed, earlier humanist treatises on the ideal prince began with general ethical principles, the nature of man, the purpose of government, the connection of both to the pursuit of the virtuous life. Machiavelli, by contrast, boldly claimed that he would treat politics as it really is. He divided all participants into two categories, or all principalities into two categories, new and established. Um, and explained without making any value judgments what a prince would need to do in each case in order to hold on to his kingdom. And then a relevant, just a quote to along those lines from chapter 15, the things for which men and especially princes are praised or blamed. Um, Just uh, there's one sentence from there. But since my intention is to say something that will prove of practical use to the inquirer, I have thought it proper to represent things as they are in a real truth rather than as they are imagined. So this is something that um, that stood out for me, and that I've seen in you know several um, I guess commentaries or people writing about Machiavelli, like he is kind of he's considered the progenitor of political science in the sense that he wasn't approaching it as it was common in the time, like like um, the introduction mentioned. For starting with general principles and then sh- showing what a uh, an ideal prince should be, like uh, a somewhat somewhat contemporary was like Erasmus, who wrote a similar um, mirror. What are they called? Mirror, to, mirror for the prince, um, like a basically an instruction manual for princes. And here, are, here are all the virtues you have to have and how good you have to be, and um, to be a good Christian ruler, a good cr- Christian autocrat or prince. And um, Machiavelli was actually. You know, a politician. He was a diplomat. He was an ambassador. He was a um, he was involved in statecraft in like Florence and in, in this time period. So he actually had experience dealing with politics uh, from the inside and knew a lot of the big players. You know, he interacted with them. So this was more of um, well, um, on the last show, you know, I mentioned that there are various interpretations of Machiavelli, including like that he was. Um, th- this was a satire. Um, of course, I mentioned that he was actually a Republican by nature. He preferred a Republican system of government as opposed to an absolute monarchy. Um, and I think, you know, after reading this, I think it's pretty clearly not a satire. Um, but it is kind of, I think we've I think everyone's done this before you know, when they're thinking, well, if I was a dictator, you know, this is what I do, you know, this would be really evil. Even if, even if it's not in a person's nature to actually do that, this is kind of, you know, I think that's kind of what Machiavelli was going for. If you look at the political situation, like, like Burnham mentions, he, he, his goal was to unify Italy. That's what he wanted. Like he wanted a unified Italy, not all of these disparate and often warring statelets um, run by their own princes, but a unified Italy. And this book is pretty much, if you are a prince, you know, if you are, if you aspire to be or will become a king, here are the things that you will actually be doing and that you will actually have to do by looking at history and contemporary politics. So in that sense, he was kind of, he was a political scientist. He was saying, well, here's what has worked. You know, I've read the classics. I've been in politics. I've seen, I've seen what goes on around the world. in my own region, in Italy proper, and in wider Europe, and you know, ex- the you know the extent of the Roman Empire, here's what here's what has worked, or here here's what based on my reading of things, you know, based on my awareness of and per- perception and appraisal of the facts, here's what works, here's what doesn't work. So in that sense, it's it's kind of like a um, even if he even if the uh, like an absolute monarchy. Isn't his preferred form of government? He's saying, "Well, if you are an absolute monarch, um, here's what works." You know, that's and that's the impression I pretty much get from the book. is Is that that's pretty much all he's saying? Um, He's not. He's not really necessarily like. Um, just like the, in the introduction, he's not advocating for something, he's not saying this is the perfect system of government, this is the way it must be, here's the justification for why um, why this has to be, he's just saying, well, this is just the way it is.
0: Yeah, I um, one question yeah. I had in mind was, you know, is is Machiavelli being cynical or should we be refreshed by this naked view of politics as it really exists? because um it's you know it's reality uh hitting you full front full frontal it's a, it's it's an attack of 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 um a accurate perception of what actually is in a way uh and we you know i'm sure maybe not us but a lot of people have this idealized version of what government is or what it should be what it should aspire to and these may be ideals that are uh once you read Machiavelli completely unrealistic and actually if if pushed too far in many cases, um injure uh the the, the body politic, injure the 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 citizens, uh and make things worse. Um so you know it's like you know, first do no harm, you know, first see things uh, exactly as they are so that you can treat the, 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 the conditions on the ground.
1: In Machiavelli's case, first do harm and, and then do less harm. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that the, the, you know, what, what kind of, uh, what I found interesting reading this is that, um, on the one hand it's, it, it seems like a bit of a, like a moral relativism right i mean just do whatever you know whatever uh, is good for your cause right for your for your state and uh, and to, to to hell with with uh, morality uh, but then again there are also some um elements in there you know when he when he talks about you know that um, he says sometimes um you know moral behavior is is a weakness right like if you are too generous um, and give give all your your riches away to the people you know or then uh, at some point you you're gonna be like broke and then have to ta- tax the hell out of them. Uh, so that that won't won't last. So in a sense, sometimes I got the impression that um, he's uh, he's advoc or he, he's like um, arguing against like a, a, a black and white and too simplistic form of morality you know where you say, oh uh, to be moral you should always do this yeah. um mm-hmm. even though the circumstances might change and it might be like way more complex than that and mm-hmm. and he also like, clearly didn't like those people who who go overboard with cruelty you know when he when he cited the the examples of uh, rulers basically like tricking um I don't know, like the novels to, to take part in a meeting and then just slaughter them all. And he gives some examples like that, that he says, like, no, no, that's just uh, totally overboard. So that there is some kind of a moral dimension to the whole thing. It's just not, um, not like... Um, a simplistic form uh, where you describe the virtues that you know the a prince should have and uh, that's always how you act so he was mm-hmm. like brutally um how you say like brutally uh, pragmatic in that sense yeah. so your goal is to keep your your thing together you know and to to uh get get your status uh, entrenched and and your your state uh, secured and uh, that's all that counts. And and here you go. But uh, the moral dimension, I guess, comes in more subtly in the sense of like, why do you want to keep your state and what, what, what do you want to do with it? You know, what what are the the motives? Right. But but that dimension, he he doesn't really talk about that much.
1: Yeah, um, at, at a few points, he, he basically says um, I haven't collated them together to, to make, like, to, to, to bring together his basic principles of, you know, what, what the, what the state is, but there, there were a few, a few kind of grand themes that, that came out. And one was like the centrality of war, first of all, um, especially when you look at the historical context and not much has changed, you know, the, the forms have changed, but, um, but still, even if even if the world isn't constantly at hot war with each other, you know, all nations aren't constantly at hot war with each others. So hot wars still exist, and war has has progressed or pro- progressed. I don't know if that's the right word to different forms, um, like economic, you know, political, revolutionary warfare. There, you know, the hybrid warfare. There's there are tons of different types of warfare now, and warfare still is a a constant in um, you know in statecraft. So there's that centrality of war, and then he talks about the about the pretty much the the prince's purpose is to the, the well purpose and the things that the only two things that that are essential are essentially um to be well armed and well funded you need money and you need soldiers and so he's pretty much strips everything down to the to the very basics of you know the kind of the absolute minimum of of um well the minimum number of factors to 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 consider um when you when looking at a prince in a in a state and that and then he gives the conditions for how things will work because if if it it, it all it all pretty much makes sense if if you're going to and this is kind of implicit and explicit at a few times when he's talking about it but the the, the when you look at politics when you look at leaders what are the conditions of let's say a a good leader or well if you let's look at a, some situations if a leader is responsible in some way for the utter destruction of his own state then you can pretty much say that's a failure if you end up producing um or ruling over a rich state that is at peace that or that that conquers other nations successfully again historically then that is considered a good ruler and that was pretty much the case you know through this entire time period you know going back to i mean just look at the at the romans um the Romans uh, loved war um, and loved expansionism. And that's how, uh, that's one of the reasons Caesar, for instance, was so popular is because people, <laughs> people liked war. They, they liked a, a ruler that, 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 uh, that, that uh, succeeded in battle. And by those conditions, a lot of the, a lot of the, the kind of, dichotomies that he makes, the contrasts that he makes are what are the conditions that work for these things? Like, okay, well, let's look at armies. Well, here are the reasons that mercenary army armies haven't worked in the past and the present. Here are the the reason why foreign armies are a danger. Um, Here's here are all the the precedents for why um, why it seems that a standing, like, well, a a a local army made of the, the citizens of the of the state are successful. And why that works. So he gives the reasons for this, and then, he, of course, he talks about money. He talks about allies with um, uh, alliances with neighboring states and how those work, and what 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 conditions lead to essentially a successful state, one that isn't overrun, one that doesn't fail. So it's like you said, it's a very pragmatic, practical approach, and that seems to be the way politics works. And there is a kind of, despite the despite his his. Um, all of the statements where he kind of eschews and um, kind of sets aside con- um, um, like conventional morality, like you said, Luke there, it does, it is implicit. Like I want to read what was, what I thought is, it's probably one of the one of the most famous sections in this book. And it's the one that stood out to me um, in the section on, because this has one of his, I guess, most controversial yeah. Statements. Yeah. So this is the chapter 17 cruelty and compassion and whether it is better to be loved than feared or the reverse. <clears throat> so he talks about compassion here. Um, i will read a few sections, a few excerpts and then comment on them. So it starts taking, uh, taking others, taking others of the qualities I enumerated above. I say that a prince must want, uh, a prince must want to have a reputation for compassion rather than for cruelty. Nonetheless, nonetheless, he must be careful that he does not make bad use of compassion. Caesar Borgia was accounted cruel. Nevertheless, the cruelty of his reform—this uh, the, the, cruelty of his—reformed the Romagna. I hope I pronounced that right brought it unity and restored order and obedience. On reflection, it will be seen that there was no more compassion in Caesar than in the Florentine people who to escape being called cruel allowed Pistoria to Pistoia to be devastated. A little historical reference. So a prince must not worry if he incurs reproach for his cruelty so long as he keeps his subjects united and loyal. So he's, again, he's placing a very specific context for how compassion should be used and should be present or not. Um, But then he says that you can be too compassionate and that uh, these people, these nearly always harm the whole community. Whereas executions ordered by a prince only affect individuals, a new prince of all rulers finds it impossible to avoid a reputation for cruelty because of the abundant dangers inherent in a newly won state. Nonetheless, a prince must be slow to believe allegations and to take action and must watch that he does not come to be afraid of his, own pe- of his own shadow. His behavior must be tempered by humanity and prudence so that overconfidence does not make him rash or excessive distrust make him unbearable. So again, he's always, he's always dis- despite his getting rid of or ignoring conventional morality, he's always walking a tightrope about not going too far in one direction or the other because if you go in too far in one direction for instance with compassion too much compassion will get you killed um or make you uh make you vulnerable to like an invasion um or a, a conspiracy against you or you know one of your subordinates staging a coup against you or just taking you out and taking your position and too much cruelty will make you hated and will therefore make your rule your continued rule more difficult to um uh, to carry out. So then this is the main paragraph that I want to read that was that was so good, for, that, I, that I thought was so interesting. From this arises the following question, whether it, whether it is better to be loved than feared or the reverse. The answer is that one would like to be both the one and the other, but because it is difficult to combine them, it is far better to be feared than loved, if you cannot be both. One can make this generalization about men. They are ungrateful, fickle, liars, and deceivers. They shun danger and are greedy for profit. While, they tr- while you treat them well, they are yours. They would shed blood for you, their blood for you, risk their property, their lives, their sons, so long, as I have said above, as the danger is remote. But when you are in danger, they turn away. Any prince who has come to depend entirely on promises and has taken no other precautions ensures his own ruin. Friendship, which is bought with money and not with greatness and nobility of mind is paid for, but it does not last and it yields nothing. Men worry less about do- about doing an injury to one who makes himself loved than to one who makes himself feared. For love is secured by a bond of gratitude, which men, wretched creatures that they are, break when it is to their advantage to do so. But fear is strengthened by a dread of punishment, which is always effective. And there is even later on this. There's, this chapter is only a you know a few pages long, but uh, I don't think I have it highlighted. Um, but even then, there's a, there's a qualification to to what he just says there. Um, where is it? Um, when he's talking about. Well, I can't find it. But just uh, as a general point, there's always he always says, you know, like even here, it's better to be both compassionate and to be feared. But, you know, if you're not the type of person to to have both qualities, then at least be feared. Oh, it's so the 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 later qualification was that okay, it's it's important, it's good to be feared because you can't you can't come up, come across as a weak um pushover or someone who's easily going to be, you know, taken over and destroyed but that doesn't mean it's um that it's good to be perceived as cruel and like like a tyrant Mm -hmm. like there there's always a limit with with machiavelli there's there's what works and then there are the things that when you go to the extremes like he he cites a lot of the kind of post post vespasian um roman empire emperors like caracalla and um um well he marcus aurelius and commodus commodus and get looking at what why some of them worked and why some of them didn't and he has no love for the biggest tyrants you know in roman history like the ones that the most brutal ones like caracalla and commodus um and well he gives reasons for all of those um but did you guys have any thoughts on that uh that compassion and fear chapter or anything else?
0: Well, it, it reminded me, just uh, bringing it down to an interpersonal level of what Jordan Peterson discusses when he talks about people, especially men, needing to show their teeth, uh, which is to say that you're not gonna be effective in any interpersonal relationship or work relationship if you're not every so often or when appropriate able to demonstrate that you can be not nice. Uh, and it doesn't mean excessive cruelty. It doesn't mean uh, being a total asshole. It, it's just the ability and the recognition in the moment, um, based on the particular circumstances, as you were alluding to earlier, Luke. You know, the, 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 the timing is important. Uh, what's appropriate. Um, but, uh, you know, th- this was, uh, you know this is an idea that's been put out in videos and discussions by Peterson and 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 recognized by a lot of people doesn't help to be nice in all situations yeah. um as far yeah. as this kind of duality that uh you know of of cruelty and and love and compassion um there there are a few of these dualities that uh Machiavelli puts forth um, and Burnham comments on as well. The combination of force and fraud is picturesquely referred to in the famous passages of the prince, which describe the successful ruler as both lion and fox. Now, this is interesting. Uh, you must understand that there are two ways of contending by law and by force. The first is proper to men, the second to beasts but because many times the first is insufficient recourse must be had to the second it belongs therefore to a prince to understand both when to make use of the rational and when of the brutal way and this is recommended to princes though abstrusely by ancient writers who tell them how achilles and several other princes were committed to the education of chiron the centaur who was to keep them under his discipline choosing them a master, half man, and half beast, for no other reason but to show how necessary it is for a prince to be acquainted with both, for that one without the other will be of little duration. Seeing, therefore, it is of such importance to a prince to take upon him the nature and disposition of a beast, of all the whole flock, he ought to imitate the lion and the fox. And so, um, as I usually like to do when we're looking at, uh, older literature or classic literature or literature of a political, uh, nature, um, it helps me to put it into a contemporary context to apply it to things I'm seeing in, uh, domestic politics and geopolitics. Mm
2: Yeah and i i wondered also um uh, how many leaders um in in politics actually have read that book or um for for whom th- th- this book was part of their education right because it, i mean it's such a classic um it's probably like one of the cornerstones of political writing um unfortunately most people don't really read it in school which is kind of interesting because it's it's so short and so easy to read um would be like a good <laughs> good project for for every student um but i'm sure like um if you get a real political education you're gonna read read that book so so i i also wonder like um uh how many like leaders you know whether in the military or politics or wherever like uh, actually do apply some of these principles, or like at least um, have thought about them. And I mean, one of the things that uh, Machiavelli said is uh, uh, said is uh, if you're gonna be cruel, you know, it's better to be like very cruel, very fast, and very short, uh, mm-hmm. and then immediately refocus on on serving the people again, right? So, um, mm-hmm. so that was one of his points. So you can see that kind of in action. I think um, in current events that um, this idea to uh, to just go go all in, you know, very swift, very decide decisively, and then um, stop it immediately and refocus on on building, basically. And uh, so that's kind of interesting. And and about your point uh, again about morality and and Jordan Peterson, I wanted to read another quote. I think it's also from chapter 18, because it speaks uh, speaks to that point as well, um, I think. So he writes, um, a prince therefore need not necessarily have all the good qualities I mentioned above, but he should certainly appear to have them. I would even go so far as to say that if he has these qualities and always behaves accordingly, he will find them harmful. If he only appears to have them, they will render him service. He should appear to be compassionate, faithful to his word, kind, guileless, and devout. And indeed, he should be so. But this, his disposition should be such that if he needs to be the opposite, he knows how. You must realize this, that a prince, and especially a new prince, cannot observe all those things which give man a reputation for virtue, because in order to maintain his state, he is often forced to act in defiance of good faith of charity of kindness of religion so it's i think it's it's this it's a similar idea so he's basically saying that no these are good values um and uh, he should even have them but he should have the uh, the ability to act differently if if the need arises and um i'm i'm not sure if he like with these values he he means some very com- complex moral theory or something. I, the way I understood it is more like that. It's like the the, the basic rules that most people would, would apply, you know, to concepts like virtue, but in a very like rule kind of form. Uh, so don't do this, do that, never do this, always do that, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And again, I think that's what, Jordan Peterson is always warning people against and uh, uh, which kind of makes sense because sometimes um, d- different circumstances demand different actions that can in and of themselves be moral too, you know, on a on a kind of uh, different level. So um, without maybe like um, giving him giving Machiavelli too much uh, the benefit of the doubt, because it, it, it can be kind of cynical what he, what he writes, mm-hmm. so I think that's fair to say. Um, but uh, it's an it's an interesting point. This kind of uh, moral flexibility, in a sense, but then again, to see it from the point of view of a higher goal, you know, where where sometimes um, you cannot apply like strict black and white rules.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh where do i want to go with that there's well when you when you look at politics um well let's tie this into some of the other things that we say about politics um so i mean when we talked about the the managerial revolution at the end of last year beginning of this year um one of the points that that we brought up about kind of modern politics and particularly but probably all politics of all time is that there's a it is it is this kind of this gray area where, like we've been saying, conventional morality doesn't really apply. doesn't apply to the way things actually work. And when you look at even even if we just look at that that one thing about to be feared or to be loved, um, and Machiavelli says, well, if you can't be both, it's better to be it's better to be feared. so a lot of a lot of what he's writing is, is just very practically based. It's like, okay, so what are the chances that you'll find, let's say, like a really good man, a really good leader? Um, well, there're pretty few. If you if you take a sampling of the population, probably there probably aren't very many that you could find, especially randomly. Like if you were to just randomly select someone and, and make them a leader, um, it's kind of like randomly selecting someone to to be in a you know a, a, like a, a professional orchestra or something. You're not gonna chances are you're not gonna find a person that's suited to the role. So with politics, there's going to be a selection process, of course, that leads to the people who are potential leaders. And historically, um, a lot of the time that has been being born into a noble family, for instance, one who will inherit rule or inherit uh, you know wealth and position. Not always, but um, to a large degree. And so, so there's a selection process, process that goes on, but really what are the chances that you're going to get um, you know, a good leader out of that? Well, maybe it might be higher, it might be lower, who knows, depending on the circumstances. But when you look at the, the qualities that are needed, if, if it is better to be feared, then chances are um, leaders, th- that in itself is going to be a selection process. And who's more likely to be feared? Someone who's conventionally, Conventionally considered to be a good person, or someone who's conventionally considered to be more like of a Machiavellian tendency, so you're probably going to get um, some some more people of questionable um, uh, questionable character, and you see that in a lot of these a lot of these examples that he gives. Some were where they. You know that obviously goes too far and you get you get examples like commodus and caracalla and uh you know sulla from all from the roman period then of course you'll you will get people that seem to excel at it and who who do have that flexibility who who aren't totally or aren't too one-sided in their in in their character but then again um as he points out that it's very hard to go against your character, against your nature. So you'll have someone who's perfect for the role, perfect for the circumstances, and that might be because of their um, um, their mildness, for instance, like with like Marcus Aurelius, um, who, because of the conditions that he he ruled under, you know, as a hereditary leader, um, managed to 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 keep everyone in check and have a you know a, rel- a relatively well functioning state. But then his son comes along, um, or his, his heir. I can't remember but whatever um but then when conditions change that won't necessarily carry over into the new conditions and that's this is a point he makes near the end of the book in the in the discussion on the role of fortune or chance um or events beyond your control where cuz he's trying to determine what the what the role is of just fate you know things that are outside of our control and what 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 is within our control and and the point he, <clears throat> I think, you know, generally the the conclusion he comes to is that things can work under certain conditions, but w- in new conditions they won't work. And it may be often that a person who is perfect in one set of conditions, when conditions change, either won't be successful or wouldn't be successful in different conditions. And all of this, I'm just kind of trying to get to the point that um, that it's probably easier for a person who is like you know. A, on the the dark triad spectrum of human personality to do a lot of the things that uh, that Machiavelli's talking about. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that they would be, um, you know, ideal rulers in Machiavelli's sense. I guess that would just come down to practice if they're actually able to able to to do it. but I, but this is just something that <clears throat> I haven't totally formulated because i'm I'm still still trying to work it out, and I don't know yet exactly what I think about it. Because there are the, well, there are just these questions like, um, like what is, what is the personality type for, for a lot of the, a lot of the qualities that the Machiavelli is talking about? <clears throat> I think that, that given what he writes and given all those qualifications that you would actually have to be a, a very intelligent mm-hmm. and, and like, I'd say moral person to be able to do a lot of the things, but that that the kind of conventionally moral person wouldn't be able to make like a lot of the hard decisions. And this is, I think, like a common kind of conservative, hardcore conservative like perspective. Where oh, you know, you've you've got to, you got to you know. What are the, what are some of the things hard hardcore conservatives say? You know about you know we've, we saw a lot about it in the in the Bush years. <clears throat> you know, it's just um, you know there's no room for bleeding Half hearts. Leader. <laughs> yeah, you got to be a tough leader. Um, you know, uh sometimes you got to make tough decisions. Oh, well, you know, the best example was like uh Dick Cheney talking about the CIA, right? Sometimes you got to work in the shadows and uh, you know, I think that's how he put it, you got to work in the, you know, the dark places. Um, he wasn't the only person who said it during, you know, that decade. But it is a an interesting it's just a, it's just a, it's still a kind of a mystery and a, in a question. Well, I guess one, so there's, there are a few different perspectives, a few different, um, I guess, hypotheses on why this is the case. Some would say, um, some would argue, and this is in some of the kind of psychological literature that most, or that, that politics in itself selects for um, psychopaths, narcissists, Machiavellians. And that that's just the that's just the way it works. And uh, so this was something uh, that that view was kind of expressed in our interview um, with, um, um, oh, ne- Spence, um, Richard Spence, the the Russian Revolution. Um, that you know, oh, they're all psychopaths, right? And then there's the, then there's another. You know, I, I don't know if I'd go that far. I think that for me, that there's probably. A higher percentage of, kind of dark triad types within politics, but that a lot of it is that is just that humans in in a, in a given situation they acquire the the mentality, the the worldview, the the way of doing things of the the people around them. And so that so that normal people can, you know, normal people can do all of these things too. They can act, they can, they can lie, they can believe their own lies, they can lie without believing their own lies, they can engage in any kind of all of the all of the things on the, you know, on the spectrum of what we consider, you know, good to evil in in the political realm. And that um I think that it's that fact that makes it easier and more of a danger of a person like Caracalla or Commodus, you know, or Sulla to to actually gain power and to be able to push things to an extreme. But that, um, but coming back to the idea of, you know, an actual good leader, it's almost like, um, where did I see this? There's almost this weird progression um, I've always thought of it in in terms of um, um, something that that they use in music. You know, when you're talking about the sections of a song, you can say A, B, A. So you start with one section of the song, and then you have a second section of the song that's different. It kind of contrasts with the first. And then it comes back to the, fir- to the first one again, A. So you play the A section, the B section, and the A section again. And a lot of music it ha- um, works because of variation. So oftentimes when you have... When you come back to the main theme, the main section, it'll be slightly different. So you put A and then you put a little asterisk next next to it, or not an asterisk, uh, an apostrophe, A prime. Um, so it's slightly different than the first time. So the way the way I kind of look at it, for some reason, I, I just see that pattern a lot. So in this sense, it would be like the conventionally moral person would be A. And then you'd have like a, a kind of um, amoral, like totally... Um, totally kind of pragmatic, pragmatic person, which is B and a person can kind of, well, and then the A would be the one that kind of encompasses both that can, that is essentially a, like a, you know, a decent person, but like you were saying Alan, like Peterson says that can incorporate, um, you know, aspects of that dark personality when required, because sometimes it is required, like in in a situation of self-defense, like a person who's totally um, like a pacifist and, and non-violent, well, when they get when they get attacked, they can they can go th- they can um, or when their f- let's let's make it, the stakes even higher when their family gets attacked, they can be, do nothing you know and be a pacifist and you know per- perhaps let their family be massacred, or they can adopt a bit of that violence and that monster nature within them to defend against that attack, and that seems to be. The point that I see Machiavelli making a lot is that if you if you just go along like, you're, like you like were saying Luke with the with the rules based morality always do this well if you always do this then you'll actually get an outcome that that is unwanted and that it is potentially a bigger evil than the one that you were trying to um, to avoid by trying to be uh, you know good like in this case nonviolent. But that reality is more complex than that and there aren't you know there aren't um, such basic simple situations where where that one mode of operation works in all situations like that's just not it's not what life is like it's not what reality is like you know reality is more complex and in a situation um in, you know in, in, in international politics in statecraft of course there's going to be complexities um, which involve, okay, are we going to have to go to war? Are we going to have to prepare to go to war? Well, we can be a totally pacifist nation that's totally against violence and against warfare and totally demobilize and have no, no weapons whatsoever. And then imagine being that in um, you know, the time of Machiavelli around you know, f- 1500. Well, what's going to happen? You're going to be invaded and you're, you're going to be taken over. And then you're, not, you're no longer going to be, um, to be, to be able to, to be this pacifist nation. It's just not going to work. You have to be able, first of all, you have to be able to defend yourself. You have to have an army. You have to, you have to be able to project, um, project that strength to the nations around you, to the States around you that they don't want to invade you because they might not get away with it. Um, and that seems to be, um, the, the realm for me where kind of where morality enters the picture. Um, Yeah. What do you guys think? I was kind of just rambling a lot in there, but uh, maybe I had a couple of good points.
0: you did um this is this is Burnham again uh by the way who uh who's distilled so much of the prince and and so much of other of Machiavelli's writings, who was pretty prolific. I didn't realize that he had uh so many um longer and shorter works under his belt. Uh, but Burnham writes, in any case, Machiavelli is not so naive as to imagine that the law cannot support itself. The law is founded upon force, but the force in turn will destroy the law unless it is it also is bridled. But force can be bridled only by opposing force. So, um, you know, this is like Yes, we, we can say we are a nation of laws and, and even mean it, uh, but without the, the power of brute force behind it to um, you know, ideally I- implement it and enforce it and, and make sure that it's followed uh, among those who would be less likely to follow it, the laws can be trampled upon. And as far as leadership goes, I was thinking a little bit, Harrison, of uh, Jeremy Corbyn, the uh, British politician and, and member of parliament, whose um, outspokenness on several issues uh, made him vulnerable to being uh, smeared and and attacked and lied about uh, by the ruling party. And um you know, you, you just wish that, you know, basically, even if you don't agree with everything he says, uh, basically a, a, a compassionate kind of, um, uh, protector or, um, what's the word? Uh, he, he's, um, an endorser of law, international law, domestic law. Uh, you know, you, you wish that he had the power. To to bite back, uh, to to be able to in some forceful, meaningful way respond to the smears and to the opposition that would completely squash his otherwise pretty reasonable voice on a number of issues. So that's what that's what came to mind as far as domestic politics, and and you know we could. Uh, certainly point to one or two um, U.S. politicians uh, who have similarly been uh, silenced or uh, or lied about. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard comes to mind. Um, I did want to get back to uh, something we talked about last week, uh, which bears repeating. Um, it was said in your introduction, Harrison, and that is that politicians by and large, uh, the princes of of politics are after, uh, for the most part, or in many cases, or maybe most cases, power, end stop, full stop, period. Power, power to exert their influence, uh, power to accrue more power uh, to themselves. And um, there is still among many folks, I think, a tendency to to not recognize what that will of power is about you know like you were saying a few minutes ago uh how the dark triad is um even if it even if it isn't full-blown among many politicians it, it exists to some degree or another among many of them and when we started talking about machiavelli last week uh you know, we were kind of going back and forth about what our perception of Machiavelli was, as it was promulgated and through you know general education and and various ideas, and what he really is about. And again, I'm going to uh, read from Burnham, who uh, says of Machiavelli, um, he says this, and I, I think it's I think it cuts. Straight to the chase. Uh, In any case, whatever may be the desires of most men, it is most certainly against the interests of the powerful that the truth should be known about political behavior. If the political truths stated or approximated by Machiavelli were widely known by men, the success of tyranny and all the other forms of oppressive political rule would have become much less likely. A deeper freedom would be possible in society than Machiavelli himself believed attainable. If men generally understood as much of the mechanism of rule and privilege as Machiavelli understood, they would no longer be deceived into accepting that rule and privilege, and they would know what steps to take to overcome them. Therefore, the powerful and their spokesmen, all the quote-unquote official thinkers, the lawyers and philosophers and preachers and demagogues and moralists and editors must defame Machiavelli. Machiavelli says that rulers lie and break faith. This proves they say that he libels human nature. Machiavelli says that ambitious men struggle for power. He is apologizing for the opposition, the enemy and trying to confuse you about us who wish to lead you for your own good and welfare. Machiavelli says that you must keep strict watch over officials and subordinate them to the law. He is encouraging subversion and the loss of national unity. Machiavelli says that no man with power is to be trusted. You see that his aim is to smash all your faith and ideals. Small wonder that the powerful in public denounce Machiavelli. The powerful have long practice and much skill in sizing up their opponents. They can recognize an enemy who will never compromise, even when, quote, that enemy is so abstract as a body of ideas, end quote. So (laughs) did you you have any thoughts on that, Luke?
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, um, Uh, that uh, um, goes back a bit to my point earlier. um, You know, the question why Machiavelli isn't widely read in in schools. I mean, that would be like the ideal project for, for, you know, for for a school class. It's short and it's on on point and you could discuss it, right? But somehow that doesn't seem to happen. Or I don't know, maybe you have uh, read him in school, but apparently not, so me neither. (laughs) Um, And I think there's some, like, dangerous... Knowledge in there, uh, in which speaks to the quote that you just gave, uh, Inan. I mean, that's that's for sure. I mean, um, that there, there, there is a way when you read that book, um, that that makes you able to see behind the facade a little bit of all the political fluff that that's being thrown at us, right? I mean, if we remember like all that talk about democracy and and values and you know when when they the bombed the uh, the kosovo um in the 90s they said mm-hmm. it's yeah because of our values and because we're just compassionate right and then things like that and um uh, and many of these these values or maybe not the values but uh, these these kinds of talks are are really just that um, um political fluff and uh at least I had the experience when I read Machiavelli it's, it's, it really sharpens your, your eye and, and you, you almost get a glimpse into, into the minds of of people in politics or or behind politics and, and how they work and how they just, um, you know, rationally and brutally say, okay, we, we need to bomb that country, you know, back to the stone age because, you know, there's this and that reason. And mm-hmm. so we do it. And, uh, it's it it had not, nothing to do with all that fluff, you know, and and also like the 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 power of the people, you know, ideas like that. That's um, you know, that we kind of associate with democracy, as if the people, you know, the, the, as if the little guys rule the state, right? I mean, this idea is kind of it's. I know it's an ideal, but it's still it's. It's a bit absurd to, to make those claims when when you look at, at reality and and how it really works. And uh, so so in that sense, I think um, the book is is kind of dangerous for 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 certain people. And uh, it's a good reason to to study it. Um, and uh, maybe one as uh, aspect I would would add is um, that. One thing that Machiavelli doesn't mention at all, and I think that's maybe just um, because of historic reasons, uh, but this idea that a nation uh, or a state needs some kind of um, ideology, you know, to, to hold it together and uh, or some kind of idea or value system, often it's based mm-hmm. on religion or, or a mixture. And, and, and I won't solve this, this problem here now, but I think it's an interesting question um, as to how we uh, nation states or whatever groups need these kinds of ideas as well. Uh, And, and what, and whether it's all just fluff, you know, just justification and rationalization or whether there's something to, to that, um, this idea of an I- ideology, um, of some kind that needs to be there. And, and what is the relationship between the leaders, you know, and, and, uh, and such ideas. Um, cause I suspect it's, it would be too cynical to just write it off as, you know, just nonsense. Although a lot of it certainly is. Um, yeah. So that's an interesting question, I think.
1: Yeah. I think that, um, yeah, I've been reading several things concurrently, so I can't remember for sure. But I think that the the other Machiavellians in Burnham's book, like Mosca, Perito, and um, Michelle's, I think they get into that um, into that area too. Mm-hmm. Um, from from what I've gotten into, I just want to correct something I said last last time we were. I was talking about this book. I accidentally conflated the names because I wasn't familiar with them. Of Sorrel or Sorel and Michelle's I said Sorel's, but they're two different people, Sorel and michelle's and um if we discuss this book more, we might get into into some other um some other things but but yeah I th- maybe that can be uh we'll probably get to that in the future and uh try to answer that question Luke, <laughs> we'll get to the bottom of it, we'll figure it out wonderful. <laughs> uh, but maybe the the last thing i want to say as a comment on what you were just saying was that um there's this so there is this kind of tension between um well that i noticed in myself um between like machiavelli as kind of tearing down the the veil of what politics actually is and and kind of revealing something that isn't um isn't palatable And then what we were discussing earlier about, well, when you actually think about it, it makes sense. So there's this, there's this kind of tension of, oh, well, you know, these people are actually just liars, but then, but then you can, you can see it from their perspective. Now you can see, oh, well, this is why they do it. Like, like you mentioned, this is how, um, how uh, like any, any government conceivably, you know, in certain conditions and, um, and definitely historically can just decide to, to wipe out an entire country, right? Um, you can see in Machiavelli that there there are practical reasons for why it would be done and why people can rationalize that to themselves or justify it. Because it can be justified in when looked at from a certain perspective. But then, you know, that's in that's kind of in conflict from just the kind of gut guts uh, gut reaction that you have when you say, Oh, well, but they only seem to be these these nice people. They're only pretending to be. Um, they're just it's it's all a PR. Um, campaign, you know, just to, just to get us to think this way. So there, that is a a tension that I haven't resolved in myself yet, but I think it's an interesting one to observe that, um, and I, my, my first, my first inclination is to think that, um, that there's probably like a scale of, of deception. You know, there are just the, because just like in in humanity if we take it down to the individual level and if you, if you just look at individual humans at the one extreme you have the the pure psychopath who is almost like a completely empty shell who just projects whatever image you want of him or her to get what they want and then you have a person who who like the who isn't a psychopath and i guess the most uh pr- maybe the the most um like polite way of saying it is is that they they have tact, right? Because there are certain situations that you get in where you are going to present things a certain way, right? Where you either don't want to ruffle feathers, so you don't want to you don't want to say something that might um, it could be just you just don't want to say something that you actually believe that might offend another person, and that's a that's a, a form of lying, you know, on the on the basic level or there could be an element of deception involved too where like uh, the, the typical typical example is in in wartime right well everyone agrees that in wartime you know the, you have to have you have to have uh, um, there needs to be a level of secrecy and censorship because we can't be giving our enemies the, the you know the information they need to to destroy us and we have to be planting propaganda with them so that they so that they're confused so that we can beat them there's this wartime logic that 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 has um, that kind of deception baked into it and some of the you know the when we look at the the politicians that are historically admired um in any given country you know on the usually on the winning side well that's seen as a virtue oh well they did the right thing they did they were did a good job at that you know the military intelligence did a good job of of planting this disinformation in this sense in, in this case during this battle that weakened the you know that 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 de- deceived the enemy to think this was ha- going to happen which allowed us to win and beat them mm-hmm. and like machiavelli says you know, that's what's that is a criterion of how we view the success of of a leader whether it's a military leader or a political leader or you could even go so far you know you could take it down to business leaders you know and then so the the tension is still there between the the success that we or the glory that we bestow on on certain leaders and winners, and how much of that glory that is bestowed is because um, the person is just uh, very good at lying or is, you know lying for the right <clears throat> for the right reasons in a certain situation. It's a tricky uh, it's a tricky thing to get your mind around, at least for me. Other people probably don't have that problem. <laughs>
0: No, it's, those are reasonable questions. I think, uh, you know, when you were saying all that Harrison, I was thinking about, um, the, the language of winning hearts and minds, as opposed to full on unadulterated psychological operations. You know, if, if it's a, if it's perpetrated by the enemy or by the perceived evil party, then it's a psyop it's fake news. It's a, you know, it's, it's it's propaganda. blatant propaganda. Um, but if it's done by us, quote unquote, the good guys, the the, you know, then it's winning hearts and minds. It's it's uh, you know, it's it's making our you know information available uh, to people who might not be so decided, and and all of that flowery but language.
1: What if, what if it's all a psyop, and it always has been. <laughs>
0: It's possible too, <laughs> but drilling down to the why the intentions um, of a particular side in a particular struggle is uh, and reconciling that with the the tactics and strategies that are being used, uh, like you said, you know that are fall into a lot of gray areas that are may appear to be morally uh, ambiguous. Um, this is reality. It's, it's complicated. And, uh, you know, we could, we could pick a side to make things easier for ourselves so that we don't have to think too much about it, but then we'd be falling into the trap of, of giving up our liberty in a way, giving up our, our faculty for, uh, for choosing in a a more exact, authentic, um, precise way in such uh insofar as such a thing is even possible when we take sides in a particular struggle um so you know all good questions and i'm I'm glad luke that you brought up the you know religion part i wanted to mention that too and um it's something mentioned elsewhere you know about its role in unifying a nation and its importance so i look forward to discussing that further as well uh
1: Any final thoughts, Luke?
2: Not really. It was um, actually a very good exercise to read such a classic, you know, because I, as you guys, have never read it. And um, uh, yeah, and I I would just encourage everyone out there who's listening to this to read this this short little book. I mean, it's really, as Harrison said, it's a really quick read, and um, and there's a lot of lots to think about in it and uh, some things to disagree with or to get enraged over even or other things that uh, just fascinating. And uh, so it's very productive uh, reading. And, uh, and as we all said, it's, it's just great to, to get a glimpse a bit behind the curtain of of what, what people
1: actually think. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So yes one quick comment on you mentioned that you know none of us were taught this in school or had you know uh, had it as an option to read in school um i found out yesterday that the the pope banned uh, the pope banned the book you know back in the 1500s and it was it was a banned book for i don't know a couple hundred years or something so the the pope saw what was in there at the the pope's saw what was in there at the time and said ooh you know we can't uh, we can't have people actually realizing that this is the way things work um, you know there's that whole discussion that even of, popes
2: uh, yeah. think that way and act that way right <laughs>
1: yeah yeah cuz you can see that in there like machiavelli's like oh well you know cesar borgia he should have just installed you know a pope that was friendly in him you know like this other guy did and you know and then the, here's how the cardinals work and you have to have these many cardinals on your side so that you can have you know it's just like oh wow okay i'm sure the i'm sure the church uh, appreciated having their you know, their politics laid bare like that. Um, but interesting stuff. Anyways, we'll probably maybe on a future show, get into some of the, the modern Machiavellians, um, like the ones mentioned in Burnham and many other topics. So thanks guys. Thanks for listening. Everyone we will have a a link to a a list of just a couple books that we mentioned on the show today in the show description. And if you liked it, uh, please consider subscribing and liking this video. Post a comment if you like, and we will see you again in a week or so. Bye-bye.